0: Conquer Local. Come on, George. I'm happy to be here.
1: I help leaders go from anxiety to authority under pressure. And then let's go and get it. It's an ecosystem. The hardest part here is going to be getting me to shut up on this one. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Hosted by George Lee.
0: This is the Conquer Local podcast. A show about billion-dollar sales leaders marketers leading local economic growth, and entrepreneurs that have created their dream organizations. They want to share their secrets, giving you the distilled version of their extraordinary feats. Our hope is, with the tangible takeaways from each episode, you can rewire, rework, and reimagine your business. I'm George Leith, and on this special edition, we welcome Joel Stevenson. Joel is the former CEO of Yesware, a leader in sales productivity software. Yesware was acquired by Vendasta, and Joel is now our VP of growth. He has over 20 years of experience in building businesses, and prior to Yesware, Joel was the general manager and founder of Wayfair's B2B division, which grew to hundred million in revenue. He began his Wayfair career by leading the company's home improvement products division, followed by his role as managing director of Wayfair UK, where he drove growth of the company's international presence. Joel then served as vice president of FP&A, While Wayfair was making the transition to a public company, he earned an MBA from the Yale School of Management, a BS in business administration from the University of Illinois, and he studied Chinese at Harvard's Beijing Academy. Get ready, Conquerors, for Joel Stevenson coming up next on this week's episode of the Conquer Local podcast. It's a pleasure to have Joel Stevenson here in studio for the Conquer Local Podcast. Welcome, Joel.
1: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So Joel, you were the CEO of Yesware and recently Vendasta announced an acquisition of Yesware and now you've moved into a role as VP of Growth. So uh, congratulations and welcome to the rocket ship known as Vendasta. We have a bit of a tradition here at the Conquer Local Podcast. When we bring on senior folks that have been doing it for a while, we like to have them as guests. So we're going to spend hopefully the next 20 minutes just talking about Yesware because I need a bit of a refresher. I remember when the sales team, and we were you know, just a couple of sales reps, we started building inside sales, came to me and said, can we sign up for Yesware? And uh, that was nine years ago hmm. that we met the Yesware organization. So I'd love to hear from you. Where'd Yesware come from? How long has it been around? Just get a, a bit of the backstory.
1: Yeah, well, you were pretty early there because the company is only a little more than 10 years old, I suppose. And uh, the original founding, Idea, the company, I, and I. Just so you know, I came in about five years ago, so I'm not one of the founders, but. Uh, Cashman, our CTO uh, and co-founder, still with the company. And Matthew Bells was the other founder and CEO. And at the time, there wasn't really such a thing as sales software built for salespeople, though there was plenty of sales software. But it was more the traditional CRM, which I always think of as like built for the sales manager, Mm -hmm. you know, like when I when I did some uh, CRM installations many, many years ago, the whole thing was like Oram and, you know, Siebel back in those days, the whole thing was, well, you don't want the salesperson to to leave with a right? right? So it was, it was always a bit of a control and what's the forecast. It was never really about, well, how are we going to make salespeople more productive? It was really about like, how are we going to get information, control information from the sales team? And so the the idea behind Yesware was like, well, what, what is a set of tech that would just make salespeople more productive and make their lives better and make them actually, you know, earn more money um, or be more successful in their career? And so that was the idea. And it started with actually a a mobile sort of template keyboard. And then eventually, sort of got to this idea of taking some of these marketing automation principles around email and applying them to the salesperson. So instead of just like getting a report of like, oh, here's your email campaigns and here was the open rate and the reply rate, you know, bringing that to a salesperson, but then giving them a notification as soon as somebody opens the email was sort of the original, uh, you know, kind of innovation of YesWare.
0: Well, it's interesting that you talk about that magic moment because I'll never forget the morning that uh, Justin Babby. Uh, who is you know one of our top sales reps, walked into my office. We actually weren't even in our old building or the new building that you and I are in today. We were in a, another building they kind of put inside sales and, and he said, I've cracked the code. I use this Yesware thing and I phone the client as soon as they open the email. Now think that that's mm-hmm. pretty normal today, but think back nine years yeah. ago, it, it was quite revolutionary. And, and that was where Yesware really started to to ride the wave. We'll get back to a little bit more of the history, but let's talk about you and your history. So five years at Yesware, where were you before that?
1: Uh, Yeah, before that, I spent seven and a half years at Wayfair uh, and I started when it was a company called csnstores.com that had, you know, three or 400 individual microsites, things like, you know, uh, extreme is all Mm -hmm. Uh, It was very much of sort of an SEO, you know, SEM driven, Um, you know, sort of almost, you know, advertising management combined with supply chain management. There wasn't much of a brand or much of a retail story there. And and over time, as we built that business, we eventually realized we needed to build a brand and bring it all together. So we we then became Wayfair.com. I ran uh, originally a bunch of uh, websites that had to do with home improvement, Um, you know, plumbing, lighting, that sort of stuff. And it sort of incubated a little b2b team while i was there and then i uh, went i ran our uk business for a couple of years uh came back and actually ran our uh, financial planning and analysis group while we were going public which was fascinating and, and super interesting and then had a chance to go back to the b2b division which i would sort of started and sort of grew while i was away and that was about uh, around about 100 people um when uh, i sort of took it back over and then in two years we took it to about 500 people and 400 million in revenue and now it's a one and a half billion dollar plus division of the company so it was fun, fun yeah ride.
0: it's exciting growth yeah. I you know you don't do too many searches online and not find Wayfair if you're yeah. trying to buy some products for your house so that that's okay. uh I'm sure it was thrilling. So now let's talk about Yesware and in, in the 5 years that you've been there and you know we we were talking off camera about all of the sales organizations that use the tool for this phenomenon of inside sales and you know there's a lot of tech that's being deployed there to help make this thing more efficient and and help sales professionals communicate with potential customers and existing customers better. If you were to look at some of the highlights over the last few years, what what would those be in the 5 years that you've been in the space?
1: Yeah, well, we've we've sort of moved from uh, where this was a, very much a sort of a single player type of phenomenon um, where you got some benefit as an individual rep to really the the, the teams that have gotten the most benefit out of Yesware. And, and there's a whole litany of companies that have started with Yesware when they were small and became public companies. Uh, Yelp comes to mind, Flywire, JFrog. I mean, the, the list sort of goes on, um, especially in tech. And what you see these companies do is they have this very interesting sort of test and iterate approach where they sort of see what's working across the team. They allow for some amount of experimentation and then they take the things that are working and they apply that to the rest of the team. And so if you think about, you've got one rep that somehow figured out, oh, well, here's here's a better way to go from the discovery meeting to the demo meeting. Like we get more people to show up or we get you know drive better discovery that leads to better. To, that can all then be applied to the rest of the team. And so now if you've got a step where you used to go you know, 8% of the people made it from this step to, to this step and now it's 10%. Well, one rep figures that out. And then if you can do that across your whole team, well, now you've got a much better funnel. You can spend more on acquisition. You're going to get, you know, drive more to the bottom line. So there's that, that's really what we started to see is, is people taking, you know, individual productivity and then sort of turning that into team productivity.
0: The one one dream that I've always had over the years, there's probably podcasts where I talked about it, really excited to put it in place, was a was a test team. And having that test team not be a junior rep because junior reps just got in the building and they're learning what they're doing. Having it be, you know, somebody who's been there for a while, kind of knows how to run the plays. Is that something that you have saw over the years in this experimentation where there's a team that tests these new things? Or is it in general population where you pull a couple of reps out and you get them to run the test? What would be best practice there?
1: Yeah, I I think it, I don't know that I've ever seen somebody say that this is sort of the the experimentation team. I think sometimes what happens is, they just emerge because you've got some senior people that are good and they get bored, you mm-hmm. know, just kind of running the same playbooks and you can't just have them like do the same thing over and over again. And, and I think that group ends up sort of becoming like the de facto testers. And then they send it, tend to be the pace setters for the rest of the sales organization. And so whether or not there's an explicit sharing, people are sort of watching what they're doing. And one of the things about making your sales process more tech enabled is it It does make it more possible for the rest of the team to see what's going on. And so if you see that somebody, oh, man, like this person's killing it, like what templates are they using or what campaigns are they using or like how are they following up? You can start to get a lot of that information as a rep um, versus, you know, before you maybe could not get that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, that collaboration and and sharing of information is so important. So I also have been doing some listening recently to uh, the Hard Sell podcast, which nice. is a show that you've uh, created. And uh, let's talk a little bit about that podcast show. And, and what was the, you know, I remember the day that I, that I opened my big mouth and said, we're going to do this podcast and it's yeah. going to be every week and then probably had ptsd for the next year afterwards going what have i got myself into it's a lot of work now of course the team does all the work yeah. and i just show up here and talk but um you know what would you say are some of the highlights and, and maybe the things you learned in, in developing that podcast
1: yeah well we're, we're not as high budget as this one i would say we're, we're definitely in that early uh, sort of scrappy phase but it, it's been fun i mean I, I the way we approach it is um we're trying to bring people on that have something interesting to say about selling. And, and it, in some cases, it's uh, the CEO of a tech company that's, that serves sales. In some cases, it's the sales leader. In other cases, it might be somebody that's like somewhat adjacent to sales. Like I had uh, Jerry Colonna, who wrote this book uh, called Reboot, who's my executive coach, and I had him talk about like rejection. And, mm-hmm. and so we, we try to bring in people that are broadly interesting um, across a number of areas. And mostly, I think the way that I keep it interesting. Is I just bring on people that I find interesting, and we just talk about interesting stuff. And so th- that part of it feels uh, feels quite easy. And then um, we've got you know some folks that help you know get it you know, produced and edited and out in the world. So I don't know, I, you know, I couldn't do
0: that actually. So, well, absolutely, I couldn't do that either. The the other thing that I've noticed over the years, I'd love to see if your um, if your learnings line up with this. But first couple of years, always asking, answering the question of where's the value from this. And you're producing episodes on a regular basis, and then it felt like in year three we'd be at a conference, and someone would come up and say, "I listen to the show every week," or we'd go on a cold call, and the client would be like, "I listen to that show." Is that kind of what you're seeing as well? Having that consistency, and, and you know, what what were some of the things that you noticed where it really started to pick up traction?
1: Yeah, we're, I would say we're, we're still pretty early. Um, uh, one thing that's happened recently is I'm starting to get inbound from other people saying like, oh, we heard about the hard sell podcast, or do you want to have this, so that, I, I think there's something there. Um, certainly, I think the Vendasta acquisition helped, because now we're like, you know, it's sort of a, a jokey it was like 150 in entrepreneurship in Canada or something on some one of the iTunes charts or something like that. So I, the way I think about it is, there's probably some exponential where if we keep building good content over a long period of time, eventually someone's going to find one of them and then they're going to say, oh, I like that one. Like, let me listen to the other 30 or 40 or, you know, you have 250. We're, we're nowhere near that. But I think if we if we keep making every episode good, eventually there's a there's a sort of a catalog of content that becomes available to people, whether they discover it now or they discover it, you know, three or four years from now they can go back and and hopefully we're doing stuff that's relevant um, to folks for that whole period.
0: Yeah. What we have found is actually episodes from season one and season two are getting as many listens as brand new episodes mm-hmm. for that very reason when somebody finds the content. But I, I always like asking that question of other podcast creators and hosts, because it was a little lonely there for the first 24 months. You're, yeah. you're, you're trying to justify the investment investment in your own head as much as to the organization. And and I think really where we saw the magic start to happen was sometime in season three um, where people were, now they're starting to, to be a little bit more forward on it. So we like to share that with our listeners because it is still one of the fastest growing content mechanisms out there for businesses of, of all sizes. So in sales, as we look to the, the new year, not sure when people are listening to the show, but we're recording this uh, late 2022. Yeah. Um, what, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in sales? Because you work with some of the biggest and best inside sales organizations on the planet through the Yesware group. I always like to ask that yeah. question. What are some of the trends and, and how could our listeners learn from what you're learning?
1: Yeah. Well, one thing that we see is the the bar continues to go up for personalization. So, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, the experience nine years ago, sending out an email and getting it open. And, you know, for the most, I think you maybe as, as, as much as, you know, three to four years ago, you maybe could have gotten away with sending out a relatively, you know, uh, half-baked campaign and some people would have thought it was really for like, it was really meant just for you mm-hmm. type of thing without a lot of personalization. I think now there's been uh, so much, uh, you know, more uh, sort of automated or, or structured emails put out into the world that like, you really can't get away with that as much as you can anymore. Now you still want to get the benefit of the tech, but you really have to spend more time personalizing those messages and making sure that the person that's receiving it gets the sense that it's not from a machine or it's not automated. Because I think now like that is the you know, that's sort of the kiss of death, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but what's interesting is that if you actually do the work and do the personalization, like actually add some value to you know, those emails, they really stand out because we don't we see a lot of people using tech like yes, or other tech as a crutch. But it, it's really meant to—it's uh, really meant to, to assist. It's not meant to do your job for you. And so, if you can use that tech to be more productive, but then you can also sort of remember the craft of selling and like who are you selling to and what do they want and what's the value and how can you solve a business problem for them like you i think there's actually better chances to stand out than maybe there was you know three or four years ago because so many people just think they can just hit send and their
0: job is done no and that you know if our audience picks up one thing there is no silver bullet mm-hmm. there are components that can make it a hell of a lot better so i appreciate you uh, bringing that up as we look into you know ai I noticed in Slack yesterday, you yeah. were sending a, a note around AI. We were just recently at a conference where pretty much every presenter was talking about AI. What what do you see in the crystal ball as we look forward?
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, um, the, the chat GPT thing, which which OpenAI just launched is really a stunning, uh, in my mind, a really stunning leap forward. And it sounds like they're even got sort of, this is like an interim model and they've got another bigger one that's sort of coming. and. Um, I mean, two things that i find interesting about that one is that they've you know taken this massive corpus of internet data and trained this model on it and you could just ask it the craziest stuff and it you know it's it's sort of a bullshit artist in some sense but it's like it's pretty believable mm-hmm. and the fact that it can take so many just random unstructured queries and get you part of the way there is really interesting to me and i think folks that uh you know are not really adding value from a creative standpoint you know even in selling like if you're not really you know understanding what the customer really wants and writing something personal like you know your job is probably in danger from people from uh, models like this that are just sort of like wash rinse repeat you know taking information that's broadly available and synthesizing it and so i think this is a real change and the other thing that's interesting about the chat GPT to me is that it's a much more accessible way to get at it. So it's like a very comfortable interface where you're just sort of typing questions like you're not coding an API, you're not sort of getting data back and having to parse it and do something else with it. you're not writing JSON, you're just like writing free language text and getting interesting responses back. So I think a lot of people through means like this are going to start to understand what the power of some of these models are. And again, it's like it's there, it's not a cure all, but it's 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 uh, indicative of where the tech is going. And if you can take a model like that and then train it on very specific data that maybe you're, you have proprietary to you, like people
0: are going to start doing some very interesting stuff with this, I think. What I found last year when it was cold here in Canada, where <laughs> we live, um, that's my content that was only time. Last year. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was using Writer at that point moment. And I just found that it helped me to be even more productive and, but you've got to go through it and make That's sure right. that it makes sense, especially if you're sending it to a high value customer. You don't want it to, you know, I don't think we want it to look like a form letter, but it's, it's amazing to see the advance advancements even in the last 12 months.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's um it, I forget who said this, if I don't know, it was Hasimov or somebody was, this idea that you know humans are very good at um, extrapolating things linearly, but we're very bad at extrapolating things exponentially, and so you tend to overestimate what something can accomplish in the short run, but underestimate it in the long run. Mm-hmm. I think we're definitely starting to get on the steep part of the
0: curve with some of these AI technologies now. Yeah, Amara's law that, uh, is at play for sure. So let's. Um, let's talk about the acquisition and yes, we're coming together with Vendasta. We've got, you've got an enormous amount of customers that love the product. We've got an enormous amount of customers that love Vendasta. Uh, we put the two organizations together. It's not going to happen overnight, uh, as much as, as a salesperson, I'd love for it to happen overnight, yeah. but h- how are we lining up as, as companies in your, in your opinion?
1: Yeah, well there, there's, I mean i think there's some really interesting stuff i mean one great part of the acquisition was vendas is a long-standing customer so you understood the tech and what we're doing and what we're trying to do and you know one thing that people love about yesware is that we allow you to work in context like mostly in the inbox but we show up in some other places like calendar as well but that that's where we allow you to work and i think for reps that are busy and constantly context switching like there's a high cost to go into this screen then into that screen then into that screen and so to the extent that we can sort of keep you in context people really like that and so what we've done with things like our Salesforce integration is we basically bring Salesforce into the inbox. We take all of that activity, we pass it, we it into the right place inside of Salesforce. And so without doing all the work, you get all the value of those systems of record. And so if you look at the Vendasta system, you know we can do something very similar there where over time, we're gonna bring Vendasta into the inbox. And all of that data that you're, you're, you're gathering from communications with customers, like that's gonna end up in Vendasta now as a system of record um, versus in some other system System of record and all the power of you know sort of one to one communications. Um, that yesware powers we're going to bring that in and and combine that with automation. So you might maybe you know might get a lead in and be able to immediately route it to a person, immediately put them into a into a campaign, which then goes outbound and you start. So there's some there's some pretty interesting stuff. I think that's possible.
0: Oh, really exciting stuff. And culturally, are the two organizations playing well uh, in the first couple of months?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, we. Uh, uh, I think we're, we're all setting new records on our on the, our phone for temperature i think it was, <laughs> feels like negative 50 is a new thing so we're we're having to up our winter clothes even being from boston we're having to up our winter clothes game i think uh, a little bit here but yeah it's, it's been great um you know it's uh um everybody here has been very welcoming and um you know it's you can tell that there's uh a real desire to win here and a lot of energy and excitement and uh, yeah I me mean, to me it feels a little bit like you know wayfair was you know a few years before we went public so
0: in the five years that you've been at Yesware, you've been working in one of my favorite cities on earth boston is one of my favorite places you can feel the the buzz in that community from tech um what, what are some of your takeaways from being in the in the boston area just to share with our listeners because i know that it's a it's a very popular place for people to go visit
1: yeah it's uh it's great i mean it's got a lot of history um you know it's a I think it's a relatively compact city, so you can sort of get. I mean, it's hard to get around because it was built for carriages, not cars, so the roads are terrible, and and the transit system isn't particularly good. But it's pretty small, so you It's a very walkable city. Um, You know, we sort of I think punch above our weight in restaurants, and you know, there's a you know the north end is a bunch of Italian food. Like there's there's a lot of interesting stuff there, and uh, what makes the city pretty interesting I at the moment is. There's something like 50 universities in Boston, in and around the Boston area. So you have, you know, obviously Harvard, MIT, but you have Boston College and BU and Emerson, like the, the list goes on. And so the interesting thing that happens in Boston is like it gets a lot quieter in the summer, actually, will the tourists start to show up, but a lot of the people you see around that are younger are gone. But it makes it does make the city feel young because it has such an influx of college students. And then you have all the innovation that's coming out of you know the likes of MIT and BU and, and Harvard. And that sort of drives an interesting culture. And on the on the tech side, you have not only tech, but biotech is very big in Boston. And so it makes for quite an interesting. Um, set of dynamics for the city.
0: Well, Joel, we uh, welcome you to the Vendasta rocket ship. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and the team over the last month or so. And we're looking forward to some great things coming in the new year as we start to bring these two platforms together. And thanks for joining us on the Conquer Local podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me and uh, glad to be here, part of Vendasta.
0: Great episode from Joel. And as you can tell, we probably could have went on quite some time talking about sales and how the Yesware platform has benefited some of those logos that he was speaking of, like the very large Yelp sales team that calls on local businesses all over North America. It's all about efficiency. It's about a product stack that allows sales organizations to be more efficient. And it's not about replacing sales. It was interesting to hear him talk about that. The automations that can be put in place, the workflow models that can be put in place, drive more efficiency so that the salespeople are able to be more productive with the time that they have. If you like Joel Stevenson's episode discussing Vendasta and their acquisition of Yesware, let's continue the conversation. Check out episode 508, Vendasta Acquires Matchcraft with Sandy Lohr and Brendan King. Please subscribe and leave us a review. And thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Conquer Local podcast. My name is George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local podcast presented by Vendasta. Tune in next week for a new episode. Guest discovery and produced by Sullivan Adams. Marketing by Rory Lawford, Nicole Lozon, and Sullivan Adams. Executive producers, Brendan King, George Leaf, and Sullivan Adams. Recorded at Vendasta headquarters on the Canadian
1: Prairies.